In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. JFK, who, how, and why? Most Americans have never believed Lee Oswald was a lone gunman, and for very good reasons. Here, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history is laid out for the world to see with proof after proof after proof. Lee was standing in the doorway when the motorcade passed by, the darkest secret the Warren Commission had to cover up. There were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who, with their handlers and supervisors, are identified here. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, and the whole movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. This is the conspiracy guy. We had a, an, ex, an alleged explosion at an Ariana Grande Manchester concert promoting panic and death. According to the story, an explosion that appeared to be a suicide bombing killed at least 22 people on Monday night and wounded 59 others at an Ariana Grande concert filled with adoring adolescent fans and what the police were treating as a terrorist attack. If you dig a little deeper, however, it's not so obvious. We do have a report. Manchester bombing suspect identified as Salman Abedi. Last night, a suicide bomber detonated a bomb outside of an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England, killing 22 and injuring dozens more. Now, the bomber has repeated, reportedly been identified and they show a photograph of a girl coming out with a torn jeans, which he could have worn coming in. Uh, in the hours since the attack, reports are surfacing that the bombing suspect is a 23-year-old man named Salman Abedi from CBS News. CBS News confirmed today that the man who blew himself up the previous night at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England, was 23-year-old Salman Abedi, who is known to British authorities prior to the attack. They're going to change his name, incidentally, to be his age, to be 22. In a generic statement posted online, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS claimed responsibility for Abedi's suicide bomb attack, which left 22 people dead, including children, one at, the entrances, at one of the entrances to the Manchester Arena, Officials said one man was arrested Tuesday in southern Manchester in connection with the attack and urged people to avoid the center of the city as operations continued. Police and British Prime Minister Theresa May made it clear the focus of the investigation was to determine whether the bomber was acting alone or was part of a wider group. ISIS issued its claim of responsibility in a brief generic statement that did not identify the bomber and appeared to get some of the facts of the attack wrong. It claimed a caliphate soldier managed to place a number of devices among a gathering of crusaders in Manchester and detonated them. After the attack, President Trump issued a powerful response calling individuals responsible for the attack evil losers seeking to do harm in this world. 
Now, notice the fact that they're claiming the responsibility to get the facts wrong is discrediting. Anyone could have done this. Ariana Grande herself seems to be very unsympathetic to America. Here I'm looking at an image of her, uh, I hate Americans, I hate America, after appearing to lick the donuts that were on display for public sale. She's licking the donuts. There's another photograph of her using an American flag to wipe her derriere and giving the finger to the camera. But here's what's serious. Crisis actors rehearse terror attack in Manchester, UK. We have a video that shows someone dressed up all in black coming out into uh, an atrium and setting off a flashbang grenade, which isn't powerful enough to even kill him, although he's only maximum of two yards away. And then, of course, because these are teenagers, adolescents, don't know the difference between a, a sound and an actual bomb, rush in every direction. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Here we have a nice piece by Kevin Barrett, Manchester Falls Flag, Man 22 Kills 22 on May 22. British Man 22 is suspect in bombing a silent killed in blasts that killed 22 in Manchester, England. Following yesterday's tragedy in Manchester, the term false flag is the hot new meme A scandal has developed in the U.K. as Labour Party activist Debbie Hicks has been shouted down by the establishment for pointing out that Theresa May will hugely benefit from the 22-22-22 Manchester spectacle, as a Daily Mail reported. Labour activist is forced to apologize after saying that Manchester terror attack, which slaughtered 22 innocent victims, was wonderful timing for Theresa May. Except, of course, it was. Wayne Madsen, for example, has suggested that the Manchester bombing was a false flag attack designed and carried out by British intelligence services or their allies with the goal of stopping the drastic decline in voter support for Theresa May. The election is now just 15 days away, and the motive seems to be to manipulate the British electorate into rallying around their prime minister in this so-called crisis of terrorism, at least until the election is over. Furthermore, May's government claims that the possibility of more terror attacks soon is very high, an observation that seems to be made to allow them to implement additional false flag attacks if support for the Tories continues to decline. We'll now see if the British electorate is more intelligent than the voters in the U.S., or if they will dupe with this scam like their counterparts in America. And there's an article about it from strategicculture.org. Fascinating enough, this coincides with the publication of a new book from Moonrock Books by Nick Kohlerstrom entitled Chronicles of False Flag Terror, A European Perspective, where Nick, who is a leading expert in the world on the London 7-7 subway bombings, where his book Terror on the Tube is now in its third edition, Nick had blown the story, the official narrative, apart by observing that the four Muslim lads who were being blamed for the bombing could not have been at the tube stops in time because a train from Luton they would have had to have taken had been canceled that day. Nick's a very subtle thinker, very sophisticated, has done excellent work on many subjects. So check out moonrockabooks.com just on sale this week.
A more interesting case, perhaps, given that the Manchester is so obvious, is one right here in New York City, namely the Times Square crash, which, according to Alex Scott, is just another Broadway show. This will come as some surprise, no doubt, but it seems to me that this man who is a uh, uh, a, a policeman for some 24 or 25 years and a general detective for 15 who has done brilliant work about the Orlando charade has nailed it once again. Here are a few paragraphs where you can find the article at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. Once again, we've been exposed to another staged event in which a crazed individual is accused of driving over pedestrians on a busy street. This time, the event occurred in Times Square. Just before noon on Thursday, May 18, 2017, Richard Rojas, 26, drove his 2009 Honda Accord down a busy Times Square street at a high rate of speed before crashing at the intersection of 45th and Broadway. According to Eyewitness Report, Rojas' vehicle plowed through 23 individuals, killing one female, and became airborne before coming to rest atop a steel uh, uh, bollard where it then burst into flames. Of the 23 people struck, the NYPD said that one female had died, four people had been critically injured with open fractures and multiple traumas, and three others were seriously injured. All were hospitalized. Some 15 more were not seriously injured and were not hospitalized. Video surveillance shows carnage. There have been several attacks similar to the Times Square event over the past year, including the London Bridge attack, Stockholm, the Melbourne Burke Street attack, Berlin, and even in Jerusalem. The curious aspect to all of the aforementioned attacks was that there was little video surveillance footage made available of the actual carnage. We were given a litany of excuses, including that there were no cameras in the area or certain cameras were not operational at the time. They were all very convenient excuses. In a surprising turn of events, authorities did a complete 180 and released surveillance footage of the Times Square attack from start to finish. By releasing this footage, we are supposed to be convinced that this attack transpired exactly as reported. However, when analyzing the footage, frame by frame, it aroused more suspicion and further questioning, as I will explain. The above photo shows what appeared to be six or seven people having just been struck by Richard Rojas' vehicle as it barreled through Times Square. This is just one scene that purports to show the carnage brought on by Rojas. Below is the video surveillance footage taken from multiple cameras in the area. And the videos are, of course, embedded in, the, in my blog where I republished his article. The majority of Americans will view this surveillance footage and react on an emotional level. This is understandable. The thought of another person viciously and deliberately running over our fellow citizens is appalling. However, I strongly encourage everyone to view the video footage and watch it again in slow motion. If you do, I believe you will have the same questions that I did. The first thing you will notice is that even though multiple persons were struck, there is no blood. Had Rojas really been traveling at such a high rate of speed, we should have, 
see many of these victims with crushed skulls, body parts strewn around the street, compound fractures, etc. Instead, what we see are people simply rolling off Rojas' car, seemingly unscathed. In fact, at several points in the video, we see people, we see people getting struck head-on, falling to the ground, and then miraculously getting right back up and walking away. They show no signs whatsoever of any pain or trauma. This is simply impossible. There is one scene in particular that caught my eye. It shows obvious signs of staging. Immediately after several people are struck, an unidentified man suddenly appears on screen waving his arms. Who is this man? He is a director. What we do not hear is the man frantically waves his arms as he's yelling, Cut! The so-called victims in the apparent tragedy are most likely nothing more than stunt actors playing a part. For those still skeptical that this was a real event where real people sustained real injuries, then I encourage you to watch the following video. They do a good job breaking down how this event was coordinated and how stunt people are trained to safely survive being hit by a moving vehicle. The video also breaks down on how CGI technology is used and how it was likely inserted into the Times Square attack to add further realism. As I mentioned above, Andrew was struck by Richard Rojas' vehicle. Below is a photo of Andrew being run over by Rojas' 2009 Honda Accord. As you can see, the vehicle literally ran over both of Andrew's legs. Immediately after having been run over, Andrew simply gets back up as though absolutely nothing had happened to him. This is medically impossible and is just more evidence of staging and probable CGI manipulation. Had his legs really been run over, they would most likely have been broken. At the very least, you would think Andrew might have suffered just a small amount of pain and agony and would not have been able to move for several minutes. In addition, I featured uh, Scott on my radio show, The Raw Deal, on rentsradio.com last night, and we discussed the case, and he even added that there was a, a, a something quite large that was covered by a tape at the very intersection where the vehicle winds up at 45th and Broadway the night before. So it appears they put the vehicle there but covered with a tarp the night before. And, you know, New Yorkers intent on their own pursuits simply overlooked it. I also had noticed myself that in the footage that this vehicle on the sidewalk is kicking up an awful lot of dust. I cannot imagine how that much dust could possibly be brought up from uh, the sidewalk on which he was driving which strongly supports the analysis that the, we are seeing the integration of video of the car driving with the CGI effects to, to produce the outcome. It, it's embarrassing how bad this has become, even in the era of Donald Trump. Now, others have suggested that the Manchester event was intended to distract attention from the boiling over of the Seth Rich murder case, where Sean Hannity, for example, was going at it hammer and tongs when the, the Manchester event broke. Uh, it, it's interesting that it would serve both purposes uh, to promote 
Theresa May's re-election prospects, but also to distract from Seth Rich because there are very important developments. Dr. Ewan, as I have previously reported, Arkansas, Seth Rich was murdered for leaking DNC emails to WikiLeaks. In the midst of the Democratic National Convention last July, WikiLeaks spoiled the Democrats' love fest by releasing some 2,000 Democratic National Committee DNC emails. Those D- emails show the DNC to be thoroughly corrupt. Long before Hillary Clinton won the 2016 Democratic primary elections and became her party's presumptive presidential nominee, the DNC had become her tool, colluding with journalists to shield her and working to undermine her Democratic opponent, Bernie Sanders. She has alludes here to another of her blogs, hacked emails show Democratic National Committee to be corrupt arm of Hillary. We know there is a WikiLeaks release from John Podesta. I'm definitely for making an example of a suspected leaker uh, whether or not we have any real basis for it, uh, Podesta wanted to make a, an example. Here is a report now from a physician who was at Washington Hospital Center when Seth Rich was brought in. I find this quite compelling. Listen. Fourth-year surgery resident here who rotated at WHC, Washington Hospital Center, last year. It won't be hard to identify me, but I feel that I shouldn't stay silent. Seth Rich was shot twice with three total gunshot wounds, entry and exit and entry. He was taken to the OR emergency where we performed an X-lap and found a small injury to segment three of the liver, which was packed, and several small bowel injuries, pretty common for gunshots to the back exiting the abdomen, which we resected about 12 centimeters of bowel and left him in discontinuity. Didn't hook everything back up with the intent of performing a washout in the morning. He did not have any major vascular injuries otherwise. I've seen dozens of worse cases than this, which survived and nothing about his injuries suggested to me that he'd sustained a fatal wound. In the meantime, he was transferred to the ICU and transfused two units of blood when his post-surgery crit came back at uh, 20. He was stable and not on any pressors, and it seemed perfectly routine. About eight hours after he arrived, we were swarmed by law enforcement officers, and pretty much everyone except the attending and a few nurses was kicked out of the ICU, disallowing visiting hours, normally every odd hour, for example, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., and so on. Not something we do routinely. It was weird as hell. At turnover that morning, we were instructed not to round on the VIP that came in last night. That's exactly what the attending said, and no one except for me and another resident had any idea who he was talking about. No one here was allowed to see Seth except for my attending when he died. No code was called. I rounded on patients literally next door, but was physically blocked from checking in on him. I've never seen anything like it before. And while I can't say 100% that he was allowed to die, I don't understand why he was treated like that. Take it how you may, I'm just one low-level doc. Something's fishy, though, that's for sure. The situation has gone to such an extent that Newt Gingrich has called the murder of Seth Rich an assassination, which, of course, as we all know, is the killing or murder for political reasons. 
uh, on Fox and Friends uh, on Sunday, uh, referring to the murder of DNC staffer Mark Rich, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, said, we have this very strange story now of this young man who worked at the Democratic National Committee who apparently was assassinated at four in the morning, having given WikiLeaks something like 23,000, I'm sorry, 53,000 emails and 17,000 attachments. Nobody's investigating that. And what does that tell you about what was going on? Because it turns out it wasn't the Russians. It was this young guy who I suspect was disgruntled by the corruption of the Democratic National Committee. He's been killed, and apparently nothing serious has been done to investigate his murder. We have further confirmation from the the well-known Internet figure, Kim.com, who's tweeted, I was involved with Seth Rich. Public statement Tuesday, hashtag WikiLeaks. Here's Kim.com's preliminary statement. Hashtag Seth Rich was a hero. I know that Seth Rich was involved in the DNC leak. I know this because in late 2014, a person contacted me about helping him start a branch of the Internet Party in the United States. He called himself Panda. I now know that Panda was Seth Rich. Panda advised me that he was working on voter analytics tools and other technologies that the Internet Party may find helpful. I communicated with Panda on a number of topics, including corruption and the influence of corporate money in politics. He wanted to change that from the inside. I was referring to what I knew when I did an interview with Bloomberg in New Zealand in May 2015. In that interview, I hinted that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks would release information about Hillary Clinton in the upcoming election. The Rich family has reached out to me to ask that I be sensitive to their loss in my public comments. That request is entirely reasonable. There is indeed a short video interview with a the, the, the husband, the mother, and the brother of Seth Rich, which I, find, which I find perfectly consistent with him having been murdered, uh, though some are claiming that the brother was trying to suppress a smirk. It's evident to me that's not true. He was trying to suppress tears. He was in such anguish over this event. And, of course, as I've reported many times, we know that the Russian hacking meme The Russia blame game was a plan hatched by senior campaign staffers John Podesta and Robbie Mook less than 24 hours after Hillary Clinton conceded. Quote, that strategy had been set within 24 hours of her concession speech. Mook and Podesta assembled her communications team at the Brooklyn headquarters to engineer the case that the election wasn't entirely on the up and up. For a couple of hours, with Shake Shack containers littering the room, they went over the script they would pitch to the press and the public. Already, Russian hacking was a centerpiece of the argument. Notice, however, you're not hearing this from the mainstream media. You're not getting this from ABC or NBC or CBS or CNN or MSNBC. Uh, I'll be fascinated, but I expect it will break out on Fox if it has not already. Here we get an article from Zero Hedge. Seth Rich Plot Thickens. D.C. Insider speaks of complete panic at the highest levels of DNC. Last week, Fox News dropped a bombshell report officially confirming via anonymous FBI sources what many had suspected for quite some time, that murdered DNC staffer Seth Rich was a 
leak source for leaks that proved that the DNC was intentionally undermining the campaign of Bernie Sanders. In addition to exposing the corruption of the DNC, the leaks cost Debbie Wasserman Schultz her job as chairwoman. Of course, if it's true that WikiLeaks emails come from a DNC insider, then the Russian hacking narrative that has been perpetuated by Democrats and the mainstream media for the past several months. Moreover, it would corroborate the one confirmation that Julian Assange has offered regarding a source, namely, that it was not a state actor. Meanwhile, the plot thickened a little more over the weekend when Kim.com confirmed via Twitter that he was working with Seth Rich to get leaked emails to WikiLeaks. Here's his tweet. I knew Seth Rich. I know he was the WikiLeaks source. I was involved. And, of course, I repeated. He also let out a barrage of other simple statements hardly rooted. In fact, he had designed to gin up an emotional response from his and Hillary's followers. He basically described Obama's presidency while changing the buzzwords from Democratic to Republican and Obama to Trump. The problem in the Trump White House is they have no one who really stands up to him, Podesta says. He's impetuous, he's impulsive, he fires things off, and if anything, they enable him rather than trying to contain what are moves in that in any other context would seem, you know, absolutely crazy. If they're going to try and to contain, uh, try to right this place and be able to be effective, I think they need a much stronger team who can resist his impulses and tell him that is, he is wrong. Obama got away with being a warmonger and shoving Obamacare through the government simply because the left-leaning media, who is determined to lessen the blow of the communism they so lovingly adore, covered his indiscretions. It's laughable, really laughable, that Donald Trump would fire Jim Comey because of his interference, which damaged Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was laughable from the very beginning, Podesta says, just a complete misreading of reality. If more people had read the Podesta emails, he he would be holed up somewhere, not showing his face in public. But again, partisan politics and the political elites are in charge, not the voters. At this time, it's easy to point out Podesta has egg on his face. The long-winded rant against Trump was what was laughable. John Podesta having any sort of trust in the left is actually hilarious at this point. He clearly rigged the primary election against Bernie Sanders. And we have much more. Class action lawsuit against Jimmy Washerman Schultz moves forward. Sanders fans seek justice for rigged Democratic primaries. In June, the hacker Guccifer released internal Democratic National Committee documents proving the DNC treated Hillary Clinton as her nominee before the primaries even began. Long after these revelations came to light, the law firm Beck and Lee fired a class action lawsuit against now former DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters. However, we have a report, total blackout, lawyers suing DNC for fraud speaks out on lack of media coverage. The lawyer who filed a class action lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee and its ex-chair Deborah Wasserman Schultz nearly a year ago tells RT that there has been a mainstream media blackout of the fraud case stemming from the 2016 primary. The class action lawsuit against the Democratic National Committee and former chair Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz filed in June 2016 alleges the party showed bias toward Hillary Clinton over Senator Bernie Sanders during the 2016 primary. 
Jared Black, the attorney leading the lawsuit against the DNC, went on RT's Redacted Tonight to tell host Lee Camp that while the media covered every moment of the trials against O.J. Simpson, Casey Anthony and George Zimmerman, the coverage of the DNC lawsuit has been a total blackout. And I must say, he has impeccable points, and you can get more accurate information about what's going on out here today in the USA from Russia Today and Sputnik News than you can from the New York Times and the Washington Post. In addition, we have, have new, have new, have new, new uh, Sean Lucas, who was the process server uh, uh, from the office of the D.C. Medical Examiner. 38-year-old process server Sean Lucas rose to fame on July 3, 2016 through a YouTube video posted of him accompanied by a cameraman entering the DNC headquarters on July 1st to serve a lawsuit related to the misconduct of then-DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman. The video went viral and provided insight into Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC's agenda into suppressing the platform and votes of the Bernie Sanders campaign. The revelation of the lawsuit took place less than three weeks before the July 22, 2016 WikiLeaks DNC dump of emails that would prove the allegations against the DNC to be true. Debbie Wasserman resigned from her position after the revelations. On August 2, 2016, the lifeless body of Sean Lucas was found in a bathroom by his girlfriend, Savannah King, in the apartment they shared. On November 2016, after months of questions and no answers, lab results from the office of the DNC Medical Examiner attributed Sean Lucas' cause of death to the combined adverse effect of pentanol silobenzaprine and mitragene. <coughs> with which I am unfamiliar, but no doubt some of you will know. July 10, 2016, merely seven days after the publishing of the Sean Lucas video, Seth Rich, a DNC staffer and data analyst, was killed during an apparent botched robbery. The District of Columbia is built on conspiracy theories and political vengeance that dates back to the origins of the United States. The Office of the D.C. Medical Examiner is regulated to reflect this philosophy, Even though the DNC medical examiner did release the official cause of death, no official autopsy report can be provided unless you are family due to district laws. This differs from the L.A. County Coroner's Office in the aspect that the autopsy results can be requested by the public and are often published on websites. The Office of the D.C. Medical Examiner and the L.A. Coroner's Office both have been under investigation for misconduct and autopsy discrepancies. In 2011, the Office of the D.C. Medical Examiner lost its national accreditation after an investigation discovered many top employees lacked the proper certification. The death of former Russian press minister and businessman Mikhail Lesson ended up in the hands of the Office of the D.C. Medical Examiner in November of 2015. Lesson entered his hotel room on November 4, 2015 at the Doyle DuPont Circle Hotel and was found dead the next day. Blunt force trauma to his head and body were found during the autopsy, yet the cause of death was ruled accidental. And I can add about the LAPD that when uh, the world-famous medical examiner, Thomas Noguchi, discovered that Bobby Kennedy had been shot from behind four times and that the fatal shot had been inflicted from an inch and a half behind his right ear, 
whereas Sirhan Sirhan was only in front. And while he did empty his uh, eight, eight shot revolver of the same caliber as the one used to shoot him from behind, he never got close enough to hit Bobby. Uh, but the, the, instead of using the medical examiner's report as the basis for a reevaluation, because it conflicted with the LAPD report, Thomas Noguchi was fired. This gives you some idea of the political influence of the agencies in relation to local police, where I published an article, uh, RFK outing the CIA at the ambassador, where three prominent officials of the agencies, George Joannidis, Gordon Campbell, and David Sanchez Morales, have been identified by multiple witnesses. You may want to check it out. Stand by. I'll be. Did you know that the police in Boston were broadcasting? This is a drill. This is a drill on bullhorns during the marathon. That the Boston Globe was tweeting that a demonstration bomb would be set off during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities. And that one would be set off in one minute in front of the library, which happened as the Globe had announced that peering through the smoke, you could see bodies with missing arms and legs, but there was no blood that the blood only showed up later and came out of a tube, that they used amputee actors in a studio-quality smoke machine, that the prosecution of the brothers blaming them for the crime was staged. Don't let yourself be played. Check out. And nobody died in Boston either. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like to find out why the Boston Marathon is one of the most embarrassing, laughable hoaxes ever perpetrated on the American people, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. From his visit to the Middle East, we are not here to lecture. Trump calls on Middle Eastern leaders to drive out the crisis of Islamic extremism. <clears throat> but it's very, very strange because he appears to be siding with the Sunnis in relation to the Shia and to be encouraging or inciting the Sunnis to go after the Shia. Trump's address Sunday was a centerpiece of his two-day visit to Saudi Arabia's first stop overseas as president. During the meeting of more than 50 Arab and Muslim leaders, he sought to chart a new course for America's role in the region, one aimed squarely at rooting out terrorism with less focus on promoting human rights and democratic reforms. We are not here to lecture. We are not here to tell other people how to live, what to do, who to be, or how to worship, Trump said. Speaking in an ornate room that featured 11 chandeliers and six giant video screens. Instead, we are here to offer partnership based on shared interests and values to pursue a better future for us all. Trump signed, of course, the biggest arms deal in U.S. history with Saudi Arabia, worth $350 billion over the next decade, according to estimates. Uh, his, his arrival was a, a spectacle. Uh, uh, given all kinds of uh, celebration and honors that were in distinct contrast not bestowed upon Barack Hussein Obama when he visited Saudi Arabia. Sputnik News has a report, Saudi-led Arab NATO will destabilize Middle East, unleash massive war in the region. President Trump has kicked off his first foreign tour with Saudi Arabia as his main stop. Here, he will lead with, meet with leaders from across the Muslim world, commenting on the trip. Political scientist Veronica 
Kashinikova warned that if the U.S. goes ahead with plans for a Saudi-led Arab NATO, it would destabilize the Middle East and lead to war. As Trump was praising Saudi Arabia's efforts against jihadist terrorism, Iran overwhelmingly readopted moderate President Hassan Rouhani. Rouhani ran a platform of bestowing more freedoms on the Iranian people and opening the country to the rest of the world. A day after Trump's anti-Iran speech in Rihad, reformists won all 21 seats in Tehran's municipal election. Across the board, Iranians, particularly women and minority religious groups, enjoy many more rights than do the Saudi Arabs. Trump's rhetoric against Iran, Hezbollah, the Syrian government, the Yemeni Houthis, Hamas, and given Trump's strong support for the murderous Iranian Wahhabist regime, the majority Shias of Bahrain could be taken as a call to arms uh, for continued Sunni repression of non-Sunnis around the region. Trump, in language befitting a religious fanatic, lumped together Shia Iran and Lebanese Shia members of Hezbollah with radical Sunni al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and exhorted the the gathered Arab and Muslim leaders in Rihad to Drive them out. Drive them out of your places of worship. Drive them out of your communities. Drive them out of your holy land. Drive them out of this earth where one commentator uh, has observed that mixing together uh, Hezbollah uh, with ISIS and Iran is, is you know, failing to distinguish from ap- apples, oranges, and pears. Hezbollah, of course, was able to fight uh, Israel to a dance, da- a stalemate in Lebanon in the most recent and has been, of course, very supportive of Palestinian rights. ISIS is going about butchering people all over the Middle East, which was the creation, of course, of the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, don't be deceived, and Iran has not launched a war of aggression against any other nation since 1775. Mark my words. The Constitution ratification began in 1787. George Washington was elected president in 1789. So Iran has not launched a war of aggression against another nation longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic. Well, Barack Obama is profoundly criticized for bending, uh, bowing to the king of Saudi Arabia, but in fact in bestowing a gold chain upon him, he bowed even more deeply, one reputed to weigh about two pounds. Uh, Roger Stone on Trump's Saudi award makes me want to puke. Trump should have demanded Saudis pay for 9-11, the president's confident argued. Longtime Donald Trump pal and former campaign advisor Roger Stone says seeing the president receive an award from Saudi Arabia's King Salomon makes me want to puke. Stone, like many other conservative Trump backers, believes the president may be softening his hard line against Islamic terrorism. We also know, of course, about the appointment of a special counsel to oversee the probe of Russia and China, which led Republicans to breathe a sigh of relief until Trump started tweeting again, saying it's the single greatest witch hunt in American history. I think a more accurate would be single greatest wild goose chase. Uh, Robert Mueller himself is not the man he's being portrayed as being. Here's a skinny on Mueller. Robert Swan Mueller III is an American lawyer and civil servant 
who was the sixth director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, serving from September 4, 2001 to September 4, 2013. Born August 7, 1944, age 72, in New York City. Battles and wars, Vietnam War. Education, Princeton University, University of Virginia, New York University, University of Virginia School of Law. So we have overlapping backgrounds here since I also graduated from Princeton and was a visiting professor at Virginia twice, first as visiting associate, subsequently as visiting full professor. But bear in mind, he became FBI director a week before 9-11 and stepped down a little more than five months after the Boston Marathon bombing. Sandy Hook also took place about nine months before he stepped down. So this is a man who's well-practiced in the art of covering up. There is such an immense amount of information showing that these were inside jobs and false flags. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Nobody died in Boston either, with the exception of friends of the brothers the FBI shot to death when he apparently wasn't willing to change his story to cooperate, and possibly an MIT security guard whom uh, Zoker may have approached in an effort to, you know, give himself up in relation to the pursuit for, of an issue, uh, an event for which he had no responsibility whatsoever. And, of course, his brother, uh, Tamerlan, would turn up dead after having been taken into police custody. I've laid all this out many, many places. Here we have an excellent analysis of what's going on. Representative Jason Chaffetz, Republican of Utah and Chairman of the United States House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, has requested a former director of the FBI, James Comey, all of his memos while in office, including those relating to the Clinton Foundation, Benghazi, the DNC, Anthony Weiner's computer, etc., 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 to whatever extent these exist. Chaffetz said that should Comey fail to comply and not submit every single memo during his term of office that the Oversight Committee would subpoena all of them, including one that allegedly memorializes Trump's request of Comey to quit the investigation of former National Security Advisor for 24 days, Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. However, today at 5 p.m., uh, this was a couple of days ago, Alvin Dershowitz asserted that the scope of Mueller's investigation is restricted to criminal acts, not political acts, and that Trump has violated no criminal statutes. He added that even if Trump did ask the Russian government to help him win the election, it might be terrible politically, but there's no statute against it. It's not a crime. He cites Reagan's collusion with the Iranian government to not release the hostages until after he took office. So there's no statute against this either. So it wasn't a crime. Furthermore, Dershowitz says, Trump's firing of Comey is not a crime. Therefore, obstruction of justice is off the table. Other legal experts, moreover, have stated that had Trump actually sought to stop investigation, which would be a criminal offense. If Comey didn't report criminal activity committed by Trump to the DOG, then that would be a crime. More significantly, if Comey did create memos to record his meetings, incriminating information about former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, John and Tony Podesta, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and possibly Barack Obama himself, 
may be disclosed, which would lead to an implosion of the U.S. government on a scale that is unimaginable. He suggested that 100% transparency on these alleged memos would result in the personal destruction of roughly 30% of all members of the U.S. government, plus a significant reduction in funding for the deep state. Every memo will be seized by the special counsel. All of the Wiener evidence, everything. Importantly, the memos would reveal the nature of Comey's relationship with the deep state. As we know, Comey was general counsel and senior vice president for Lockheed Martin. Considering all of the above consequences, this cannot be allowed to happen. Enter Robert Mueller, who is one of Comey's best friends. Mueller was a director of the FBI prior to Comey, and he was appointed by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to head up a council to investigate Trump's alleged collusion with Russia. The primary function of this council is for it to serve as a vault for Comey's memos. The immediate effect of Mueller's appointment is the prevention of anyone except for his investigative staff from ever viewing these memos, including members of Congress. Only if it is deemed appropriate by Mueller's bosses, whoever they are, will this information ever be released. This is just a stunning explanation of how extraordinarily different is the reality beneath a veneer of what is being reported by the mainstream media. Here's another very significant, which in my opinion would have been justification enough for firing Comey all by itself. Comey had FBI hire former British intelligence agent to dig up dirt on Trump. Judge Andrew Napolitano, who is close to New York FBI agents, is reporting that James Comey, when he was director of the FBI, authorized his agents last year during the presidential campaign to engage a former British intelligence agent to dig up dirt on candidate Trump and pay him $50,000 for it. The story the agent dug up was so lurid and unbelievable that the FBI declined to make the payment, according to Napolitano. And this, of course, was the story that Trump in Moscow had hired a pair of prostitutes to pee on a bed that Obama had slept in. It was so ridiculous on its face that anyone should have taken it seriously indicates how profoundly our own intelligence agencies, in particular uh, the, the, the NSA and the CIA especially, were, were biased against Trump. They would believe anything negative about him. Napolitano has not named the former British agent, but could very well be Christopher Steele, who alleged that the Russians had compromising material on Trump and that the Trump campaign actively coordinated with Russian hackers targeting Clinton. It was originally believed that Steele was hired to do opposition on Trump by another Republican candidate, perhaps Jeb Bush. What could now be suspected of being a cover story was that the dossier on Trump was given to Senator John McCain and that he was responsible for handing it over to the FBI, and not that the FBI was a group that commissioned the report. If Napolitano's report is correct, it puts an entirely different perspective on the allegiances of Comey and what he has been up to. There's a lengthy article by Andrew Napolitano on LouRockwell.com. Check it out. Donald Trump, seven days in May, corroborating everything I'm reporting here and now. Uh, in addition, of course, we know that the alleged intel that the Donald is supposed to have leaked 
was already known to the Russians. Yes, it came from Israeli sources, but they were only upset because they didn't want it to be revealed how tight they are with ISIS, where they have a mole in his bomb-making factory where they give medical attention to wounded ISIS members, where they even supply ISIS with ISIS flags. Unbelievable. So now, in among the latest developments, I don't know if there was Trump-Russia collusion, ex-CIA chief tells Congress, while arguing that Russia brazenly interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Former CIA Director John Brennan admitted there were unresolved questions in his mind as to whether any Trump campaign officials actually colluded with Moscow. Brennan was summoned to testify on Tuesday before the House Select Committee on Intelligence as part of a probe uh, into allegations made by Democrats in the Obama administration that Russia somehow influenced the outcome of the 2016 U.S. presidential election. I incur encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the Trump campaign that I was concerned about because of known Russian efforts to suborn such individuals, Brennan told lawmakers, raised questions whether or not such cooperation or collusion was taking place. When pressed for his personal assessment, whether there had been any such collusion, he replied, I don't know, which may be the most honest testimony he has given. By the time I left office on January 20th, I had unresolved questions in my mind about whether Russia successfully made Trump campaign officials its agents, either wittingly or unwittingly. Uh, Democrats on the panel used up their time on speeches about Russian threats to U.S. democracy, while Republican members tended to cede their time to Representative Trey Gowdy. The former prosecutor led the Benghazi probe during the previous administration, thus ended up interrogating Brennan at several points during the hearing. Gowdy's efforts to identify the individuals or conduct involved were stumped by Brennan, saying that such information was classified could only be discussed in closed session. Nor did Gowdy fare better at clarifying what evidence the CIA had to back up its assessments. I don't do evidence, I do intelligence, Brennan said. The former CIA director did, however, condemn the very damaging and appalling leaks of classified information to the news media. He specifically blamed the media for revealing that Israel had provided information about the laptop bomb plot, accusing President Donald Trump of improperly sharing that information with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Brennan said that the U.S. policy of sharing intelligence about terrorist plots has a policy about sharing intelligence about terrorist plots, and he had personally shared evidence with Moscow, which saved Russian lives, but that there are protocols on how that is done. During the hearing, Brennan went from claiming continuity between present-day Russia and the Soviet Union's efforts to interfere in U.S. elections since the 1960s to saying that Russia has an interest in better relations with the U.S. and that such relations ought to improve. In his opening remarks, he mentioned how he warned FSB, that's Russian Intelligence Director Alexander Bortnikov, not to interfere in U.S. elections during an August 2016 phone call. I believe I was the first U.S. official to embrace Russia on this issue, said Brennan. As I expected, he added, uh, Bortnikov denied that Russia was doing anything to interfere and said that Moscow was prepared to work with whichever candidate won. The former spymaster's responses to lawmakers left it unclear 
whether the U.S. intelligence agencies were convinced something untoward was going on with the Russians because they expected to find it. It's all very sui generis, made against a backdrop of known Russian efforts to interfere with the campaign, Brennan told Representative Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California at one point, answering a question about how contacts go from coincidences to patterns. We don't have the totality of insight into all the things the Russians were doing, he added. That did not call, stop him from claiming with conviction that Russian intelligence services hacked into the email accounts of the Democratic National Committee and Clinton's campaign chair John Podesta and released that information through cutouts such as WikiLeaks and Guccifer 2.0. WikiLeaks releases are, quote, always intended to undermine U.S. national security, Brennan said, dismissing Russian and WikiLeaks denials about working together as disingenuous and that echo of recent statements by his successor, Mike Pompeo. While Trump's critics praised Brennan's testimony as proof of their claims, the president himself was feeling vindicated. This morning's hearings back up what we've been saying all along, that despite a year of investigation, there is still no evidence of any Russia-Trump campaign collusion, that the president never jeopardized intelligence sources or sharing, and that even Obama's CIA director believes the leaks of classified information are appalling, and the culprits must be tracked down, a White House spokesman said in a statement for Rome, where Trump landed Tuesday for his scheduled meeting with the Pope. Now, we have additional reports now that uh, several leakers have been identified in the the White House, uh, that there are uh, uh, some three of them. uh, here's, Here's the information. Scoop, three White House staffers have been identified for leaking classified info. POTUS will fire multiple people when he returns to D.C. Scoop info, I'm told the names of the leakers are being run by the Office of Government Ethics, which is why they aren't immediately fired. Names are given to the Office of Government Ethics who will investigate further. Scoop info, I asked one source why the leaked names would be presented to the Office of Government Ethics. They are, this is criminal, they said. Office of Government Ethics is not able to prosecute anyone. They will advise White House on how to proceed with the leakers, I'm told. And, of course, what this means is these are uh, not political appointees, but uh, administrative staffers, career federal employment uh, uh, employees, or former Obama political appointees who were burrowed into the civil service by being converted to career employees before President Barack Obama's term end on January 20th and would in most cases have to go through a civil service procedure for termination. We're getting more and more evidence about how Barack Obama set up Donald Trump to have a whole host of these issues to deal with, to sabotage his campaign, just as the DNC sabotaged uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign. There's a new book out, How I Lost by Hillary Clinton, introduced and annotated by Joe Loria. Uh, with a foreword by Julian Assange. This is one of the few cases where the foreword is more famous than the book and will become more influential. Politics is like sausage being made. It is unsavory. It has always been that way. So you need both a public and a private position, quoting Hillary Clinton, speaking privately to a conference of apartment developers. Another quote, Clinton lost the 2016 election. Trump didn't win it. How I Lost Hillary by Hillary Clinton is a vital rallying call against a type of triangulating politics that may defeat Trump in 2020, but will never defeat Trumpism. 
That's by Bhaskar Sunkara, editor of Jacobin. Another quote, unreconstructed Hillaryites like to greet every outrage from Trump with but her emails, am I right? As if they didn't matter. Joe Loria expertly shows why they do and how they reveal what an awful candidate she was and how we ended up with this dismal regime. Doug Henwin, author of My Turn, Hillary Clinton Targets the Presidency. So what we have is a whole lot of WikiLeaks emails uh, that are annotated by Joe Loria to explain their significance and how they affected the campaign. Uh, this book is being promoted by WikiLeaks, thank in no small part to a foreword by Julian Assange, in which he defends publishing leaked Democratic Party campaign material. The latest edition of How I Lost by Hillary Clinton by former Wall Street Journal correspondent Joe Loria is said to examine how the U.S. was delivered to Donald Trump. Here's a tweet from Julian Assange, our gloriously cheeky new book. Clinton, who believes a decision by then-director James Comey to reopen an investigation into her use of private email server was fatal to her election chances, has long maintained that the licks were a Russian plot. However, Loria's 264 pages uh, builds a picture of what he says are the real reasons Clinton campaign fell flat. In the book's foreword, provided to RT by publisher or books, Julian Assange begins by reiterating that WikiLeaks did not seek to support any U.S. presidential candidate. If we have information on any significant power faction or candidate in a globally significant election campaign, we publish it, he writes, acknowledging the fierce reaction to the leak of thousands of DNC and Clinton email documents. Assange describes the truthful information as beneficial. We can all profit from learning what one of the candidates for president said behind closed doors about Syria, fracking, court action, innovation, her relationship with the average American health care, China, education, Russia, surveillance, and even Edward Snowden and myself, he adds. Last summer, WikiLeaks released more than 60,000 leaked emails and attachments purportedly sent by members of the DNC, leaked emails from the account of Clinton campaign chair John Perdessa, and also also provided insight into the inner workings of her presidential run. This is all very significant stuff. And of course, as we have already seen, it proves there was no Russian hacking, uh, that the DNC emails came from Seth Rich, they were leaked, they were not hacked. And of course, we already know there's no interference in the actual vote because the Voting machines are not connected to the Internet. They're simply controlled by their owners and maintainers. But yet, as my interview with Richard Charnin, a brilliant statistician of December 1st, last, which you can find on uh, rentsradio.com, go to host archives for the raw deal, the election was rigged. The machines were set to benefit Hillary, not the Donald, that at least... uh, Seven states were given to Hillary that actually had been won by Donald uh, and that the vote from the rural areas for Trump was simply overwhelming. Get this. A U.S. appeals court has ruled that Wikipedia can, uh, appeal, can pursue an NSA surveillance lawsuit. A federal appeals court on Tuesday revived a Wikipedia lawsuit challenging a U.S. national security Agency program of mass online surveillance claims the government unconstitutionally invades people's privacy rights. By 3-0 vote, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond said the Wikipedia Foundation, which hosts the Wikipedia Online Encyclopedia, had a legal right to challenge the government's 
upstream surveillance surveillance program. That's uh, very uh, significant. There's going to be more to come uh, about uh, lawsuits, in particular one that was filed on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters against the DNC, which is being blackballed by the press. Let me just mention, if I haven't before, that on Memorial Day there will be a JFK 100th birthday online conference uh, where you can learn about it by going to jfkbirthday.com. It has uh, seven speakers. It begins at 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, noon Eastern time, uh, and it's a it's a pay-per-view for which you get six months, six months access to the program. So if you miss something, you can go back again and again. 30 bucks about the cost of a, a single meal at a, a moderately expensive or a meal for two at a less expensive restaurant. Uh, check it out at J- jfkbirthday.com. Brian Rue, uh, R-U-H-E, has done a, an interview with me about it entitled JFK's 100th Birthday Online Conference with Jim Fetzer also available. Meanwhile, this is The Conspiracy Guy. Thank you all for listening. Did you know that the license for the Pulse Club expired in 2013? That its legal occupancy was only 150? That if 50 had been killed and 53 wounded, there should have been abandoned cars all over the place? Did you know that the Dallas photograph of a series of officers behind a large wall was photoshopped? That they had to increase the size of the wall to fit the officers in? That they had orange blank adapters on their weapons? Did you know that Hillary has used body doubles? One following her collapse at the 9-11 event was shorter, weighed 35 to 40 pounds less, and looked at least 10 years younger. A May Ryan type, a second on the plane to Greensboro was taller and slimmer and looked more like Meryl Streep. We prove it all. Don't let yourself be played. Check out From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond. Hi, if you're interested in the book From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond, then contact me in New Orleans at 504-298-6791 or you can go to PatriotRadioBooks.com That's PatriotRadioBooks.com 504-298-6791 